Welcome to Talent Matters, the podcast where talent, skills and determination take centre stage. I'm your host, Donal O'Donoghue, and each episode we dive into the world of applying talent in various aspects of life. Whether it's careers, sport or creative, Talent Matters explores how the right mix of talent, skills and grit can propel us towards achieving our goals. Join us as we uncover stories, insights and strategies from a diverse range of guests who have tapped into their talents to create remarkable achievements. This podcast is brought to you by Sanderson, a leader in global talent solutions. Nadia Adan is an entrepreneur who has made a name for herself in the world of high-end car sales. In this episode, she shares her incredible journey from fleeing a war-torn country to becoming a successful entrepreneur and social media guru. Let's get into it. Thanks a million for coming in. Thanks for doing this, Nadia. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Donal. No, it's a pleasure. Um, I guess you've really blown up in terms of your, your profile over the last few years. And the whole idea with this Talent Matters podcast is that we want to have interesting conversations with interesting people who have built careers or, you know, achieved different things. So and um, we're delighted to talk to you. So, look, I'd, yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, tell me a bit about, I suppose, where mm. you started out, where you grew up. Yeah. So uh, you're probably looking at me going, you know, gosh, she's a Dublin accent, looks a little bit different and living in Wicklow. But actually, I was born in Somalia. And I came to Ireland with my mom in the early 90s as refugees. At the time, we fled from war. But previous to that, I actually had a really good life. I didn't come from poverty poverty at all. I actually came from quite a good life. My mom was an entrepreneur herself. She owned her own airline business in Africa, which wow. back then was very different. She used to travel to Moscow and lease Antoinoffs and Cessnas. And uh, basically, she worked with the UN to bring in um, medical supplies into Mogadishu. So from very early stage, I was brought up by a very independent woman, a woman who would survive. Lots of businesses had failed and she'd pick herself up and, and, and do different things. And she didn't come from an education background at all. So when we lost everything and we had to start again, it was just the two of us and we left Africa and started our journey to Europe. And initially we ended up in different countries and we were in refugee camps for years before we sort of found our feet and ended up in Ireland. We didn't even know this little island of Ireland existed in the early 90s. We ended up in O'Connell Street outside the GPO. Just me and my mum, we had nothing. I was wearing the same pair of jeans for about a year and a half. And yeah, we asked for asylum and we were in sort of what the equivalent now of direct provision was back then. It was a little bit simpler back then. And we were in that for about a year and a half. And then as soon as, you know, we got vetted and everything like that, we got the papers, mom went straight to work. So she came from being a very high class lady in her life and yeah. a really high life to starting again, having nothing. So she just got any job she could. She worked in a factory packing boxes. She worked in the pub cleaning toilets. She, you know, stuffed the chat to do to put food on the table. Yeah. And the one thing she really like battered into me was education. And she says, I want you to have a good education. It's all I want, because if anything ever happens in life, you can fall back to an education, something she didn't have. Mm -hmm. So when she would lose a business or she would fail, you know, you, you have to start again. You can't just go find another job or whatever. 
So that's something she really, really like forced into me at a young age. And I was mm. the com- complete opposite of that. I was a little terrier. I was out running around. I wanted to do my own thing. Did I you, did, did I you didn't enjoy want to study? No. Yeah. <laughs> I found it so tough because I suppose A, God love my mum. She was out working three jobs, so I never saw her. Mm. You know, she'd leave me, you know, in one of the, the minders houses in the morning at 5 a.m. And I wouldn't see her to seven o'clock that night and I'd be getting money offered to get takeaways to keep going you know because she was out working so much so I didn't have that I suppose discipline at home Mm. for someone to be to say like be home now and do your homework or whatever Mm. she just expected that I'd have that but you don't you need you know you need the two parents or you need one parent to be very regiment or whatever but it wasn't her fault either she's just doing her best yeah you know and so I did find school quite tough but what I always remember my teachers used to say was that I was just always so funny in class. I was just like the, the class clown. I got on really well with my teachers. So if I needed a bit of like extra, you know, whatever, I always found it really easy to talk mm. to my teachers and they would help me along to yeah. get through things because I just got on well with everyone. Yeah. Especially so what, what age were you when you went into school in, in, in Ireland after yeah, all that? I so was about seven when so I started. you were kind of going into second class? Yeah, I was kind of going into second class. Yeah. And like, I always had English. So when mm. I started off in Somalia, I went to a private school. I went to like an international school. So it was mm. all Germans and the UN and ambassadors and stuff like that. So I had my own driver bring me to school every morning while mom was off doing what she was doing. So like English was like my first language. So that Mm -hmm. was a great help that I had English coming in. My English was always really good. Um, So that was fine. Um, Yeah, I suppose I'd missed a little bit of, I suppose, the pre-education going through the different camps and stuff like that. And there was a couple of years where I felt like I had to catch up, mm. um, but the English was fine. But everything else, yeah, I always felt like I was playing catch up a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you study then straight after the leaving cert? Yeah. Or? So, oh, listen, my mom wasn't letting me get away with anything, right? So did my leaving cert and I didn't do too well. So I had to go and do a level five then in Rathmines College mm-hmm. just to get into my degree. Mm-hmm. Then I decided to go into, at the time it was 2008, the recession had just happened. So it was very doom and gloom in the world. And I went in and did a brand new degree in Tala IT, which was financial services and investment analysis. And I suppose my mum was very much so pushing me to that direction as well, because she said, look, you'll always have a job like, you know, finance is very uh, stable and all this type of jazz. And uh, yeah, so I did my uh, four year honor degree and then every summer mom made sure I had an internship. So the first summer she shipped me back to Africa. And I had to go work in a bank, you know, second year I applied to State Street, I fund accounting, I did three months. So every summer and she never let me get a job. She knew when I tasted money, I would never go back to school. Mm. She was like, she would give me my pocket money every week. It didn't matter if it was 50 quid a week or 200 quid a week. She always found money to give to give to me mm. if I needed anything. I don't know how she did it. I never went without anything. I remember my first proper birthday when I uh, moved to Ireland and I made friends. She rented out the whole of McDonald's in Tala 
and got me an outfit Marks Spencer's. I don't know how she did that. Mm. I look back now and go, that cost £700 for the day. You were working packing boxes. How did you How did you do that? But I never, like, genuinely never felt like I missed a thing with her, you know? So, yeah. She so sounds incredible. She is. She is. And she and I get emotional, I suppose, speaking about her because I, I, I know what she's been through. But she's very resilient, you know? Mm. And she's a great woman. And, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. Like, yeah. she has her own uh, interpreting company here for the last 20 years. And she's mm-hmm. number two in her field. Yeah. So she does very well for herself, you know, because, but anyway, that's, that's yeah, another no, story must, for another podcast. Another story for another day. But yeah. I'm sure she's really proud of you and everything that you've achieved. Yeah, yeah. So sorry, back yeah. to you were saying school. So yeah, I finished my degree and then I was like, great, I'm done. I could start working. And she was like, no, no, you're going to do a master's in Trinity. And I said, hang on a second, mom, I want to start working like and make some money. And she was like, no, you're doing a master's. So she literally physically dragged me up to the dean's office in Trinity, knocked on the door and said, you're taking my daughter. And the dean was just looking at us going, oh, it's not really how it works. Like, you know, and she goes, will you talk to us? So we went in, sat down and we told them our story. And, you know, she says, I want to do this master's. And the master's finance master's in Trinity is about 22K. It's really not cheap. And she didn't have mm-hmm. all the money. So she had to do a bit of a payment plan and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I did it. So I did my master's in Trinity. And then after that, I got a job and I was it was an interview that had gone around the whole class. And by far, I was not the smartest in the room. I was very I got through everything, but I wasn't A's and B's. And there was Mm -hmm. a lot of really intelligent people in the masters. It was a master's of finance. But there was an interview coming around as an equity analyst role. And it was the first time this company had ever taken an equity analyst. So it was Mm -hmm. a very small team. Their asset manager, but really prestigious asset manager. And. 68 people went for the the interview four round interview from mm. my class mm. and I got it wow. yeah so that was sort of the start of my life in in the financial world yeah, yeah. incredible yeah and what did you gravitate towards because we this whole kind of idea with this talent matters podcast is we look at talent we look at skill acquisition and we look at grit so yeah. when when you think back on your say yourself during your teenage years yeah where 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 would where would you have identified your early talents what kind of subjects yeah. and what kind of things did you gravitate towards yeah so i think the one thing i was always good at was connecting with people and talking to people it didn't matter if you were a ceo or if you're a homeless person on the street and because i've i'd seen both sides of life i could connect with anyone so mm. and i think that's one thing that people don't put a lot of weight on but actually it's the most important thing is knowing how to talk to people how to connect with people and it's the same now when I'm selling cars that's the first thing I establish is a connection with my customer where is the middle ground and by then the product sells itself so that's a huge thing and I always had that I don't know why I had that maybe it was a survival thing that I had to have that because I was being put into different scenarios all the time and I just yeah, had to kind new of, situations where you've got to yeah, survive and you've got to win I've got to get yeah. on with it you know um and also I saw my mom she was a bit opposite to that my mom's very regiment she's very black and white mm-hmm. she comes from a different culture than the Irish culture so she wasn't like that and I suppose I was maybe overcompensating and mm. overly friendly and stuff yeah. do you know if she came across a bit like that I'd be like oh you know yeah yeah so I think that's what an English I was good at English um so yeah people psychology that type of thing was very natural to me okay and then tell us about the change then from 
from finance yeah. to to the business that you're in today? How did it all happen? I know it's mad. So yeah, so I was an analyst for a couple of years and then I went into stockbroking and then I did more certificate. I did my stockbroking certificate in UCD, went into that and I was literally... So you're like the most qualified car, <laughs> car salesperson I know. in, 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 in it's, Ireland. It's crazy. Yeah. Like it is, it's mad. Like academically wise, I do have a great resume, yeah. but you don't even need that to be what I'm doing. But... I always think now if people say, oh, do you like, would you go back and not do all that? I said, no, because I think it, it molded me to who I am mm. because you do need a certain uh, linguistic or acumen to speak to people, certain people and, you know, uh, CEOs come in, they're buying a car, you can speak their lingo. Mm. And that's a huge thing in, in my business because I'm selling very high end cars. Yeah. So I can. I know what's going on in the market they're talking about, you know, I'm always like, not that I would be as into it now than I was when I was working in the industry, but I would know what's going yeah. on in the market. I would know what's interest rates doing, what, you know, what's uh, the newest trend in financial markets or whatever. I kind of in the background, I yeah. know stuff. So I'd be able to pick that up with customers mm. and talk to them. And that applies to lots of different industries, whether it's builders coming into me, plumbers, you know, yeah. electricians, uh, you know, CEOs, anyone, you know, so it's that kind of connection as well through, yeah. through that. So, um, yeah. So how did it all start then? Yeah. So sorry. So how did it all start? Yeah. So I was working in a shark tank with 18 guys. I was the only girl on the team apart from our boss, but she was just amazing. She was never even there. So mm. it was me and 18 lads, you know, and they all had amazing cars because they were all on crazy money. I was on very good money as well, but not as much as these other traders. And they'd all had M5s, Range Rovers, Porsche, stuff like that. So I remember I took out my first loan, got myself my first nice car, which was a 08 320 M Sport BMW Coupe in white manual. I'll never forget Lovely it. Lovely car. I loved that car. Absolutely. It was a lot of money back then, like, because it was fresh enough. And I had it, drove it, loved it. I didn't really know much about cars. And one day I decided to sell it. And I think I just didn't get a good offer from the dealer or something like that. So I said I'd sell it myself. And I was kind of doing similar. Like when you sell equities, you're buying low and selling high. It's the same thing with cars. You're buying low and selling high. So it's it's just finding out the different variables that then apply to the price of the product, whether mm. it's high or low or whatever. So I just decided to sell the car, met a guy in Tesco at lunchtime, sold him the car, made a couple of quid and I had the best crack ever. And I think it was that moment where I was at a time where, look, I was doing well in the job, but it wasn't my passion you know, I didn't like having to get up at 5 a.m. and go work for someone else all day. I was exactly like my mom, mm. but I didn't know I was. I wanted to do my own thing. Just didn't know what my own thing was. Did you always know that you'd work for yourself? No, never. I oh. always, but I always had this like, like, I know it sounds terrible, but I just felt awful going into work every day. Not that I didn't like the people who I was working with or what I was doing, but I just felt like at the end of the week, I was like, what am I doing all of this for? It doesn't matter. I don't care if I'm making 200 grand a year. What am I doing all of this for? I just felt nothing. Yeah, disconnected from disconnected. it a bit. And I think as well with finance, I felt a disconnection. I was always trying to find a connection with the job I was doing. So if I was analyzing a company to invest in, I would straight away spend 
all my time looking at the brand of the company, like, you know, the nice bits, not the boring bits of like doing models and doing mm. the evaluation of, of what that company should should be worth, you know. Um, so I, I was always gravitating to the nice bits. If there was conference calls to go to, I'd put my hand up. I'll yeah. go to London. I'll do that. I'll go talk to the investors. I'll go talk to. Yeah. I want just to be it's out like of human the office. connection, isn't it? That yeah. engagement piece. So, yeah. like, but a lot of people, you know, will sell a car privately rather than trade it in because they know they'll make better money. But yeah. how did it transition yeah. from that first? private sale Absolutely. of a car to no, yeah, yeah was there a light bulb moment or did you think there was so I did I had done it a couple of times so a lot mm. of people when they start off buying and selling cars on the side you know you have to do a few on the side and also have your own job because you don't you're not at that point to make that full jump yet you mm-hmm. still need to depend on your monthly salary so I was doing it a couple you know like one or two times and then I'd buy a couple of cheap cars and do that and then I just got to know people in the trade and so there was all this work had d- been done years before Ashford Motors and Instagram and TikTok. People think I just came out of nowhere, but actually years and years of work. And then it got to a point where I had to make the decision to jump with my couple of cars and I'd built enough capital in those few little cars um, or stick, not be able to grow. If I stayed where I was, it wouldn't really be able to grow. And it did, a light bulb moment came where I just wasn't happy doing what I was doing. And I knew I was taking my eye off the ball to put a lot into this. So it wasn't fair for mm. that's the, the business that company I was working with either, you know. So I had to make that decision and make. And a had jump. you built, had you built your run rate up to a level yeah. that you were thinking, okay, well, what's coming in is pretty much equal to the what the salary would have been that you're yeah, walking away from. Yes or? and no. Yeah, yes and no. Like some months would be great, and some months would be absolutely terrible and be going great thank god I have my salary to depend on but I knew it was a risk that I had to take that I wanted to do properly and not just do it on the side of the road like Mm. I was meeting customers at Circle K I was meeting them at Tesco's I was meeting them at the pub and selling cars from Dundeal sometimes meeting them at the house so like I knew I wanted to get a get a get a you know get a site or get you know something I wanted to get Mm. it up and going and actually have it properly run like a business so just before the pandemic like literally it was like January of 2020 pandemic happened in March of 2020 I said right that's it and quit my job took a lease out on um it was just a yard initially like nothing Mm -hmm. else and I used to use my jeep as my office took a lease out in a yard and I said you know what if it all goes belly flop sure I'll go back and get another finance job like and great having the education to fall back on. There was on. no issue. Yeah. I'd always be, and I suppose that's the thing. It was great to have that I could yeah. fall back to nine to five, but I was so eager to make this work because I didn't want to yeah. go back to a nine to five. And I guess the some of the finance skills that you would have had, because when you think about those businesses, it's like, you know, how much do you invest in stock? How much yeah. working capital do you have to have and all that kind of stuff? So did, did, was that yeah. useful to you to, to be able to kind of model a little bit yeah. about what your cash flow yeah. requirements would be and how much to invest or what was too much tied up in stock and that kind of thing? Or? Yes, and, yes and no, because all I knew was that, like, so when you start off, you're going with maybe two to five grand cars mm. and then you build it up, you build it up and then you get to a point where you can take a risk at a 20 grand car but you sort of need that brand behind you to sell mm. 20 grand cars, 40 grand cars, 50 grand. No one's just going to rock up to some random or in a yard and buy a hundred yeah. grand Lamborghini off them or yeah, an yeah. 80 grand Bentley. So you start off small. And because my overheads were really little, like my yard wasn't expensive. Mm. So 
one car a month would cover the yard and it yeah. was just me. And then you're, you're flipping. And then obviously I, I contra- contracted out my mechanic and my valeter. So they weren't working for me. So a car would come in. It needs to be valeted. You know, that's going to cost you 150 for the valet. If you need to service that. So say you'd work in prep of about 500 quid per car. And then you'd make, you know, whatever you're making, a thousand mm-hmm. euro, two thousand euro. Mm-hmm. And then out of that, you pay your rent once a month. But then you're doing that two, three times a week mm-hmm. or once a week or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And then you'd find another car to replace it with. And then it got to the point then where it was 20, I think, yeah, I think it was September 2020. So, that, so basically it got into the, the yard, just started dealing. Pandemic happened, lockdown what am I going to do? I'm going to like, no one can come out to look at cars. How am I going to sell cars? But actually the pandemic was the pinnacle to how Astrid Motors blew up because mm. I had, I was forced then to go on social media and be the brand of the business and say, hi guys, like, come look, I've got this car, that car. So I just started going in Instagram, TikTok. And then, yeah, so the pandemic was really the catalyst, I think that, you know, push the business to go on social media and and mm. I think it pushed a lot of businesses I think it broke a lot of businesses but it also made a lot of businesses I don't think with the pandemic I'd be who I am today or Ashford Motors would be as well known and as good of a business as, as it is today yeah. yeah and what was the transition from doing the kind of the bread and butter cars yeah. like you're saying the yeah. cars that everybody buys yeah. to then building the brand of yeah. those kind of luxury cars yeah so exactly that's so why I built kind of a portfolio and then I said okay I took a risk on a Bentley it was like a zero eight Bentley and I think I paid 40 30 or 40 which is a lot, a lot of, of money, money a lot of money and I sold it on Instagram just put it up the ad on Instagram girl got onto me on Instagram sold it on Instagram and I was like, oh, thank God, because you don't know if you're going to sell a car. Like, like the thing with those big cars, they can sit for six months, they can sit for a year. So that's your capital tied up for six mm. months. Whereas you could be turning a lot more, like you could have five little micros with, you have less profit in them, but more turnover yeah. and more volume. But again, it's what do you want from your business? Do you want to be a volume business or do you want to be a margin business and have a really good solid brand? I always knew from day one, I didn't want to do vol. I didn't want to be, you know, a big garage that was doing 100 cars a week. I wanted to only do a couple a week, but I wanted to be prestige, but I had Mm. to work my way up to that. So again, and then as you get on, you can get credit, you get credit facilities, you can get stocking Mm. loans. I built good relationships with main dealers, with traders who give you cars on credit. So that takes a lot of time to build that trust in Mm. the trade. And I had to like build that trust for years before I was getting any of that. So I had to just like graph, graph, graph. And then all of a sudden banks are throwing money at me and you're like, great, finally I can buy more stock now and go into more premium, premium brands as well. Cool. And then in terms of developing the social, because the social media presence that you've built is, is huge. So tell us a little bit about that. Like what was the process like? Yeah. So it's crazy because when I start first doing social media because of the pandemic, it was more so just to tell people, look, we're open. You can come down to us videos of the car because customers couldn't come to see us. So we, we would sell cars and then get them delivered to their house because they couldn't come out because of the restrictions. So I had to start to be more savvy with the videoing. And then I decided that I was going to do something a little bit different and do kind of cin- like cinematic videos of these cars I'm selling. So one I did was called the heist and it was like an RS4 using a bit of a bank heist. The other one was a black Panamera and it was like me as like the dark knight going through Dublin. And it was really great stuff that was that was shot, like really high quality stuff. 
but they weren't getting viral views. And I was spending yeah. a fortune on these videos. And I'm like, why aren't they going viral? So then I was doing that, doing that. And eventually RTE took notice and they were doing a documentary called Secrets of the Showroom. They got on to me to be to get on the documentary. So that kind of gave me a bit of a boost then as well on social media was being on the TV show and then doing the videos. And then what really like made it go absolutely viral were these TikTok videos I was doing that were called Any Guesses. Yeah. So basically a new car would come in. Oh, sorry, I'll go back a bit. Also, uh, I got to a point where I knew I needed to do something really crazy for the business to get attention. So I ended up buying a Lamborghini Huracan, right? And then everybody took notice in the market because they were like, first of all, who's this girl? Second of all, how is she buying a Lambo in Ireland? And it was all my money, every penny I had. Like, it was the scariest thing because, you know, I never bought it thinking I'd sell it. But I bought it knowing that it would demand attention to everybody in the market. Mm. And I could use it for marketing, for videos. Because first of all, you never see Lambos in Ireland. Mm. People just don't buy them over here. They're so rare, you know, in the UK, they're to a penny, but over mm. here. So I did that and then that kind of worked out and I used that for like videos and stuff like that. And then my any guesses on TikTok, I got like over 3 million views on one video, 27 million views. So on what was any video. guesses again? Like so any guesses is basically me hunkered down behind the car, a new car comes in and somebody revs the car and I have the camera up here and I go, any guesses? And it's a bit tongue in cheek. It's a bit yeah. sexy. It's, it's kind of, it's fun. And initially... People were just so like they had so many emotions. So they've about got it. a guess by the engine by the sound. Set, yeah, by the end, yeah. And I'm looking all smoldering and all that going, oh, any guesses? And this was after I'd done like all these amazing production videos mm. that went nowhere. And then I went on TikTok at a time where, you know, you were kind of getting big views on TikTok anyway. And I did this video and it just went completely viral. And I was like, hang on a second. I do that and it goes nowhere. I do this crappy little video and it goes absolutely viral. I was like, do you know what? I'm going to give you what you want, TikTok. Mm. And I'm going to keep doing these videos. And so, yeah, that's kind of the, the, the start the start of the, 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 the big videos, yeah. So what's, what's your time split now yeah. between content creator yeah. versus car dealer? Jeez, I think at this stage, I'm like 80% content creator. And it's time consuming, it's isn't it? It's so time consuming. Um, so yeah, so I think 20, like 2023 last year, was, I think was a really solidifying year for me and Ashford Motors because I had brands then reach out to me. So big brands like Circle K, Ashford, um, Aston Martin, Ashford Castle, Rolex, these are big brands I've worked with. Mm -hmm. And then I've been able to travel. I've taken my videographer with me to Africa. We filmed it just come back from Austria. I was sponsored to go over there to drive a GT3. So last year was kind of a year that solidified me as not just selling cars, Ashton Motors, but actually, you know, as somebody who has their own brand, you know, mm. to, to, to work with other brands. Um, and that, that was always confusing to people at the beginning. Cause they're like, we, well, we can't really hire her cause she has her own business mm. and other garages couldn't sponsor me because then they'd be seen to be sponsoring Ashford Motors. Yeah. But so you've, it's a personal brand you've built. Last though, isn't year it? I had to split it. Mm. So that's why I had to just kind of go, you know what? Yeah. I'm here talking about my cars. Cause at the end of the day, that's my bread and butter. Mm -hmm. That's my money. That's my salary. That's my business. Yeah. But I had to split as well. And so I changed a lot of my socials to just Nadia. Because, and then now I'm finding a lot more work is coming through that. Very good. Yeah, but it is, it's, it's hard. <laughs> so I guess the question is, there's two things really. First is 
making such a big impression as a female entrepreneur and what's yeah. a very male dominated area. Absolutely. Yeah. So is that something that mm. you think has been a barrier to you or what have you, how, how mm. have you managed? I actually think it's been a huge opportunity for me because if you think about it, if I have an opportunity as a woman to work in a very male dominated, of course, all the eyes are going to be on me. Of course, you know, so that's an advantage to me because if load of guys did what I do, they wouldn't get the views because I'm a woman. I am getting the views, but it's not also about the views. It's also about the business. Like you can't just do crazy views and expect, you know, to be, to do well, because you have to have the product and the service behind that as well. So I always made sure, and I went above and beyond cars were always good. They were always prepped right. The photos were always good. I didn't want anyone to be able to say anything about me, about my business. And they have not been able to in the last I know. I looked before before we went live yeah. today as part of my research. Of I looked course. up your Google reviews. Five-star Google reviews. Like 195-star Google Literally, reviews. And they're genuine. They're not yeah. like AI generated yeah, yeah. or anything. No, that's incredible. And like so I, there's a real yeah. focus on quality. Yeah. There's a real yeah. care about what you're doing and the customer so is right much. at the heart And even it. at times where it's hurt hurt me that mm. I've gone above and beyond or I've been let down and you know you know things haven't gone right or whatever but as long as I suppose I always kept I didn't want anyone to say she's just the videos she's just a yeah. woman she doesn't know what she's at I didn't want that so that's why I can market how I want I can be controversial I can do pure st stunts I can you know make myself look silly I can take the piss out of myself I can do all of that to get the views yeah but when people go behind that they go okay hang on a second her cars are amazing customer service is amazing Google reviews are there I'm SIMI I have everything right mm. do you know what I mean so they can't attack the business yeah and people trust me you know yourself People would only love to be able to to drag you down or to find a reason. And I think I know I'm on that pedestal, so I actually have to be extra, extra careful. Yeah. Now, look, we're all human and I make mistakes and I have made them in the past. But I think I always put my hand up very quickly and I say, look, I'm I've screwed up there, you know, and people are very forgiving. And yeah. we're just human at the end of the day. What's been the toughest point or the closest mm. point to failure for you professionally? Um, I remember there was a time where I was doing my videos in the office and I just applied for SIMI, which is the Society of Motor Industry. It's, but you know, it's like chartered accountants. It's like yeah. you're part of this group and like, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're. It's like you're, the badge of, the badge the of, badge of honor. honor yeah. Exactly. So I'd applied for SIMI. And when you apply for SIMI, it's not just you get it. You have to go through, tick loads of boxes. You have to have the right insurance for the premises. They come out and look at the premises. They look at your books. They make sure you pay your taxes. They do, you're, that you're right. You're above water. You have mm -hmm. everything right. And it's a long process. And I remember somebody had, and I was just getting the, the answer like that day or that week. And somebody had commented on one of my TikTok videos, just come out of an SI, SIMI meeting and there's talk going around the whole motor trade that you're letting down the good standing of the motor trade with my videos. And I remember I went to the office, I closed the office and I bawled my eyes out because I actually thought that was a true mm. statement. And I actually thought like, I'm not going to get SIMI now because mm -hmm. of my videos after me doing all the hard work and upgrading yeah. the insurances and stuff like that and doing everything. And I just remember going, what am I doing? Like, oh, my, this is ridiculous. And I bawled and bawled and bawled. And then I got that call. I got the call that evening to say I got it. Wow. And I actually said it to the guy. I said, I, I, I got it. I got I saw a TikTok message. And he goes, I know. No, no one said that. Like, you know, yeah. but it was just that somebody it was obviously a troll who had made yeah. it up. But I just I was waiting for that answer. So I thought it was true. So that was a really kind of a moment kind of that 
just said, actually, do you know what, Natty, you're doing something right. And mm. there are going to be people out there trying to say things and you can't can't listen to them. You just have to keep going. Um, another time was when I was starting my videos, because when you start anything that's different in life, you're going to get pushback from everyone. And especially like I don't want to say like the, the my, my male colleagues haven't supported me because there's been so many that have supported me. And even through my calendar sales, I just did a calendar for Christmas. Like I sold worldwide. I sold to loads of garages. I couldn't believe the amount of people that bought my calendar. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was a couple of garages and a couple of dealers that were I've I heard were just just tainting my name everywhere Mm. I went because the customers would come and tell me so and so said this about you that said you're just tits and cars. You're actually nothing more and all of this. And Mm -hmm. I was like. So there was, so I had to kind of just keep grinding, keep Mm. proving, like for a man, maybe he would have to prove once I proved five times. So there was that, that was a bit like I have to keep going. But then my, my gift side was I'm, I have the attention. I have the best platform in the country. People ring me now. They want me to sell their sports cars, whereas they would have gone to other garages that are Mm. around 20 years. I'm around four years because I have that platform. So I'm, I'm also acting like an agency as well, like an estate agency for selling really high end cars that I don't necessarily want to buy into stock and take the risk on. But yeah, I'll sell it for you and take a big commission out of it. Do you know what I mean? So I have different models now that I'm doing and I'm an only by appointment garage, boutique style garage. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see all the videos of the cars online. So yeah. we, we, I heavily invest on social media and the digital side of things. So you've, you've re-engineered. Yeah. And that's the thing, I suppose, like I said to you at the beginning, you know, we're thinking about with this podcast, we're thinking about talent, we're thinking about skills and grit, but actually the two things that come to mind when we talk is like courage and innovation. Yeah. It's like you haven't just accepted the way the business works. You've re-engineered it yeah. uh, and improved it. And yeah. uh, and like there's a real sense of innovation there. Yeah. So like to me, when I look at your career and what you've done, you're it's you're a real marketer. Yeah. You know, and a I, marketer I of yourself. I knew and, about that, you mm. know. Yeah. Um, so no, that's brilliant. So what's next? What's what's the future look like for you? What are your what are your goals? Five year next? goals. I haven't yeah. a clue. I don't know. I think for me now it's keep growing the business and take it to the next level. So whether that's getting a new premises or you know, like I took on two staff last year. That was a that was a big thing big for me. Yeah. yeah, because previous to that I was doing all the running around and doing all the content, doing everything. Now I've been able to take a step back and push the business bring in the business, drive the business, do the branding, do the content create, creation, go off on shoots. Like yesterday, I was on the top of the Wicklow Mountains doing a shoot on a new AMG car. In we this got. lovely weather. In this lovely weather, absolutely freezing. I hope you all appreciate it because I tell you, I think I'm after getting a cold because of, because of it. But you see, it's just even that, like, you know, and that will yeah. take a day. So yeah, this year, I, I've had a couple of uh, companies reach out to me. I've had a real estate company reach out to me from Spain. They want me to go over and sell 20 pound million houses wow. for them and do videos. So I'm trying to just work that out at the moment, how it'll work. And for me as well, I'm very picky with who I work with because I'm not short of a few, Bob. I'm not like you're an influencer where that's my job, that's my income, so I'm going to do everything. I would rather not do it if it's something that's not going to align with me or something that's not going to bring me up to another level. Like, I, it's not that, I, like, I, I would do something for free if I thought I'm going to get something out of this in terms of, like, it's going to bring me up a level, mm. you know, or, you know, stuff like that. But other yeah. than that, I'm very picky with with who I do work for. It's a hell of a story. It's a hell of a story. And it's, I think, 
It is great to see somebody that's come and built something and innovated. And uh, I think what you've done so far is brilliant. And we're looking forward to seeing what the future holds for you. So thanks for doing this. Thanks for coming in. Thank you so much. And I love your studio. Thanks so much. And hopefully, you know, hopefully I'll be back into you in in next year or something like that. We look forward to it. Thanks so much. Thank you. It was great hearing from Nadia. To find out more about her, you can follow her on Instagram at Ashford Motors. And if you enjoy the podcast, please follow us on Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel at talentmatters underscore podcast.